Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. Anyway, here we are in James. James is uh, a, a Bible, uh, a, a book that's in the Bible. It's, it's a book that is written from Jesus' brother. Jesus' brother is uh, what I, I would think would probably be the biggest cynic of who Jesus was, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like if, you're, like if your brother came in and told you that he was God, you know, like bow to me, slime, scum of the earth. No, not that Jesus did that. <laughs> but, I mean, if I was God, I would do that to my brother, right? Johnny, you're not as cute as all those girls say you are. Bow to me, I'm God, you know? I know you can do everything, Johnny, and everybody loves you, but bow to me, I'm God, right? So James is the brother of Jesus, and, and uh, Jesus has since risen and all that stuff. But here's the thing about James is, is that he didn't really believe. Um, he was a cynic. There's a, there's a few times, in, and the Bible tells us that J- Jesus' brothers came to get him because they thought he was crazy, right? They were trying to hide him and pull him back, and there was this guy doing, his brother preaching and doing all this stuff, and they tried to bring him back. But here we have this book. That it's, it's a whole book about how James is talking about the power of God coming from Jesus to you. And he receives the great salvation. So if you're wondering if if God is real, if you're wondering if Jesus is effective for your life, take it from the brother of God who says he is who he says he is. He starts off this book and he starts talking about troubles and temptations and trials and he says you need to consider it pure joy. And most of us, when we think about that, that's the most unbelieving part of Christianity, because it's like, am I supposed to deny that I'm going through these things? Am I supposed to deny that I have this trouble? Am I supposed to deny all the, you know, we just go, go through these, these things, but um, uh, the, the issue is we don't just pretend, and we don't just go, you know, I'm facing these things, hip, hip, hooray, and, and we have to become like psychopaths that, that you know, are, are weird Jesus people, even though we are weird, uh, but it is actually this, it is that in the trials and temptations, we consider we steer our thoughts and our lives back towards who Jesus is, and we understand that he is able to conquer all. And this, in this year, it's been kind of a crazy year. Uh, we have all of these opinions. We have opinions about Trump. We have opinions about Biden. We have opinions about uh, black people. We have opinions about white people. We have opinions about, uh, you know, local government. We have opinions about big government. We have opinions about Fosse, and we have opinions about mass, and we have all these opinions about stuff, and everybody wants to just kind of, but what we need to do is consider Jesus over and over and over again. If we don't steer ourselves back to Jesus, we become worshipers of different things than Jesus. And the first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And eventually we start bowing to the circumstances instead of bowing our knee to Jesus, considering Jesus. And that begins in your thoughts. And so what James is saying here, he's like, I know you're scattered everywhere else. I know you got troubles. I got, but you need to consider Jesus. And as you do that, he's making you more mature. What mature means is complete, lacking nothing. Like when a debt is paid off at the maturation date, it means that they can't call you. They can't send you to the credit union. Or the, not the credit union. That's the good place. The credit bureau, they can't send you. You're like, they can't, they can't like come and, and take your house anymore. Why? Because it's reached maturation in other words, there is no more debt. And so what, what James is saying is like, if you'll learn to consider 
Jesus in every circumstance, every trial, and every problem, what will happen is you'll be complete, lacking nothing, and nobody else can come knocking on the door and take your peace, take your joy, take your security in what God is doing in you. And that's the sermon that we need for this time more than any time. Say amen. So he's going along, and he, he's, he's talking about that. He said, you'll be mature, lacking nothing. And he starts talking about if you lack wisdom, then you need to ask God. And God is so good that he'll give you wisdom even if you don't deserve it. You know what I'm talking about? You ever had somebody like that? You would ask them and they'd be like, well, you can pay me for it. You know, like, how, can you show me how to do that? And they no, I, I, I really can't, right? That's not God. A lot of times you put that on God like, well, I wasn't good enough to get wisdom this week. I wasn't, you know, perfect enough. I wasn't sinless enough. I wasn't holy enough. And so we don't even ask God. We just kind of hide off in the corner and try to solve all of our messes and our problems and our struggles ourselves. And what James says, you should ask for wisdom. Is it when you ask for wisdom, God gives it liberally without finding fault in you. He doesn't check your track record. He just goes, yeah, you need wisdom and I'm that good I'm going to give it to you. Isn't that amazing? That's the amazing thing about God. And this is coming from Jesus' brother, James, right? If anybody knows how selfish and arrogant Jesus is, it's his brother. Just kidding. Jesus wasn't selfish and arrogant. Don't get on Facebook and talk about Brandon's talking about Jesus is selfish and arrogant. Lighten up a little bit. Hey, loosen up your mask a little bit and laugh. It's okay. All right. So here we are today. We're in James chapter 1. And verse 12. James chapter 1 and verse 12. He goes on with this kind of trials and temptation thing. And then he, we're going to look at it today and, and kind of decipher it a little bit. Here we go. Verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Mm. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Somebody say, ouch. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give birth, to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're powerful and effective in our lives. We know that when you speak, that things come to life. We know that death cannot reign, and we know that things have to change. Lord, when you speak to our souls, we become different. I pray that today we become different in your presence. We're here not to just read out of pages. We're not here to, here to sing songs or to, to, to hug on our friends, even though those are really good things. We need you more than anything, God. I pray that today we would notice a difference because we've been with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just got back from California. 
uh, I like to go to Los Angeles, and uh, most people say, oh, the traffic, and oh, just so them, like, but I like to go to Los Angeles for all the reasons that people don't think of California. I like to go to the dirt. I like to go to the grit. I like to drink coffee and drive around in the traffic, and when it's stopped, it's even better. Okay, when you're just sitting there on La Brea and everybody's honking and trying to figure out which way to go, I love that. Okay, I like to drive around, drive down PCH and it's busy and there's Lamborghinis and Ferraris and it seems like everybody's got a Ferrari, red Ferrari but me um, out there. Um, but maybe one day we'll see. Actually, I probably wouldn't get a Ferrari. I get something else first. But stay tuned. Okay. Um, so you're driving down PCH and, uh, and all these cars are out and. And uh, me and Josh make fun of everybody and, and you know, have, uh, have voices and, and speak out conversations they may be having. It's really fun. Um, so you're PCH. And, but when you get on PCH, you can actually go up the California incline, which is the road from Los Angeles. And it becomes like, you know, like the, the one that goes along the coast. And it's a beautiful drive. And you go all the way to Malibu and you get to County Line and you go up into Oxnard and, and Ventura where the, the strawberry fields are and all the farming. It's, it's beautiful up there, okay? But I like, to, I like to go up there for just a few minutes and drive along and it's amazing. But I like to go back up that California incline and that road is sunset. Sunset goes from there and it goes pretty much all the way through Los Angeles. If you take that road, it will take you about, on a good day, an hour to get all the way kind of up to Pasadena on a good day. On a rough day or a rough time of day, it could take you two or three hours to get all the way to Pasadena. Now, it's not that far of a drive. It's, it's under 20 miles, okay? But it is kind of residential and businesses. And I love to take those roads and just sit. And so Josh has been uh, on a few mission trips with me to Los Angeles. But it's his first time going to Los Angeles with me and just hanging out. So this is what I do. I just drive around like I live here. He's like, sounds cool. Okay. So we're driving through. And he knows that uh, the last few times we've been there on mission trips, he, he rides in the passenger seat, and he navigates. So he's got his phone, and he'll, he'll, like, you know, zoom out on his phone and map. He's like, you can take this road, and you can take this road. And my, one of my awesome things I like to do, and I'm not a GPS. I like GPS. It's an amazing thing. But I like to not use the GPS to test my manhood. You know what I mean? Anybody else like that? You just want to test how good you are. And so when I go to Los Angeles by myself, this is what I do. I just drive around nowhere until I recognize stuff. And I'm like, oh, I'm here. Right? It's a, it's a blast for me. And so when Josh is with me, he's like, oh, you, you want to type in the address or whatever? And I'm, I'm just like, no. And a few times on, the, on the, the LA Dream Center trip, he's like, man, you're getting really good at knowing your way around Los Angeles. And as he's looking at the map, I love map people. Any map people in here? Like you just like to open the map and look around and point and like, we can go here and figure stuff out. It's like the ultimate escape room. Okay, so you get a map out and looking and he's, he's on maps and we're like two peas in a pod driving around Los Angeles. I'm like, don't tell me which way to go until I need it. Right? That's the problem with GPS. She's always like, turn left now. I'm like, no, I don't want to turn left now. I want to drive my own way. So we're driving around, and, 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 man, I'm just feeling so good. And at one point, I was like, it's funny. Up here, I knew this street was going to be here. This turn was going to be here. And we've been driving this road for a mile. It just feels so good to have some sort of comfort in knowing that I recognize where I am. And he was like, wow. 
He's like, and one of the things I often say, and people say, hey, you're going to Los Angeles again? Wow, yeah, okay, what's, what's up with Los Angeles? I always say this, I spend more than enough time in Los Angeles. And so he says back to me, wow, you spend more than enough time in Los Angeles. And I was like, glory to God. Man, Josh, you're such a good friend. Okay, so there's something about understanding your surroundings. It's, it's familiarity. Now, on the opposite end of that, this year, my family vacation kind of to L.A. got thwarted because, um, well, Los Angeles County shut everything down. Okay, so my kids are like, are we going to go to California? And I'm like, no, we're not going to California. But lo and behold, there's a bunch of hicks down in Florida that are not going to shut the country down. So good news is I have a brother down there who lives in Florida. So I fly down to Florida for like 50 bucks a ticket because nobody wants to go to Hickville, Florida, and, and Allie does. Um, I, 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 okay. Uh, so I fly down to Florida with my kids, and we, we go down there for dirt cheap, and, and my brother picks me up at the, at the airport, and we drive from Orlando out to wherever he lives in Melbourne, Florida. And uh, the thing about Florida is it's flat, okay? It's like swampland and then just flat. And to me, in Florida, everything looks the same, right? It's like white people. They just all look the same, and everything is just, just kind of crazy. And all the streets, like, straight, and, and it's like a grid, right? And uh, there's housing addition after housing addition after housing addition, and they all look just the same. And so we, we finally get into... Johnny's house at night, and I, I don't know where I am. It's like he might as well have just blindfolded me and showed up at his, his place. And he's like driving me around the next day, and he's like, here's this road, and here's that road, because he knows I like directions. He's like this and that and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like Walmart. It's like, okay. And then you go, and the next time it's like we go out, and he's like, here's, here's Walmart. It's like, that's not the same Walmart, is it? He's like, no, it's another Walmart. It's just four blocks on the other side of my house. And it's like, it's the same thing over and over and over again. And I get so twisted around. So finally, he goes off to work, and me and Jess are hanging out. I was like, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. And uh, so I, I hop in his truck, and I start driving. And I'm like, I can figure this out. I drive in Los Angeles. Right? Melbourne's not nearly as large as Los Angeles. It's not nearly as busy. So I go out, and I come out, and I'm like, whoa. There's the Bass Pro Shops. There's Walmart. And I know that if I just go this way, I'll make it to where I'm supposed to go, right? And so I, I turn, and, and I'm like, okay, if, if that's true, then if I go this way, it'll be the ocean. So I drive that way, and lo and behold, I'm driving the opposite way of the Atlantic Ocean. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to hop on the, I'm going to hop on 95 and I'm going to go this way and, and, and I'll, I'll be exactly where I need to be. I hop on 95 and I'm like, I thought 95 ran north and south. And he goes, well, it, it does in Miami and it does in, in Cocoa Beach, but in Melbourne, it runs east and west. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? He's like, I know the ocean's supposed to be that way. And he's like, no, it's actually kind of this way. I'm like, what is my problem? He's like, yeah, and he starts spouting off road names. He's like, 192 and blah, blah, blah. And if you take this all the way into there, then it's that. And I'm like, uh, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just need to look at a map. The problem was I didn't have a frame of reference. Florida's completely different because it's a frame of reference. When I go to Los Angeles, like Josh noticed this year, it's like you can look at the palm trees and they all bend towards the ocean. Say amen, somebody. It's like, woo. He's like, look at all those trees. Every one of them is like that. He's like, yeah, I know. They know what's up. 
Like, I can find my way around Los Angeles, but I can't find my way around Florida. And it's not that it's any harder. It's just that I was lacking my frame of reference. By the time I got done, I was partially good at finding the coffee place. And I could almost find the ocean on my own. Somebody say amen to that. But I like the frame of reference. So here James is telling us, he's like, hey, um, blessed is the one who perseveres in a trial because having stood the test of time, or stood the test, the person will see the crown of life. And then he goes, check this out. You're going to go through temptations and trials and God will give you a crown. He's like, don't get it twisted. What you have to get through is this. God doesn't tempt people with evil. Now for us in life, when we're going through crap, we're going through stuff, we're, we're trying to navigate how to raise teenagers, we're trying to navigate how to raise toddlers, we're trying to, to figure out how to be empty nesters, say amen, Jennifer. Uh, when you're trying to figure out how to, how to do retirement, you're trying to figure out how to do the budget, you're trying to, how to, when everything's shut down and you're trying to figure out 2020, and you're trying to figure out quarantine, and you're, should I come out of the house, should I stay in the house, everything seems like a whirlwind, and then you go, you know what, this is just God's punishment on us because we took prayers out of school. This is just God's this, and we start going through all of this stuff about how our life is terrible, and God must be in it because of something else. But here James is saying, you're going to go through trials and temptations, you're going to go through tests, you're going to go through struggles, but you can't blame God for that. And that's our number one way to kind of handle issues, right? We, we face struggles and trials, and then we go, you know, well, maybe God's trying to teach me something, right? You've got cancer, and so you go, well, God's just trying to teach me something. We say things like this, well, it's just my cross to bear, right? And we start walking through all of these justifications of how God is putting us in the worst of circumstances, and it's all his fault, but I can't say anything because he's God. Mm. You ever feel that way? Uh, just me? Okay. I, I'm sorry. I've been in Los Angeles for nine days, sitting on the deck of a, of a cabin, thinking about my life a little bit. And, and, and so maybe, maybe I've got a different perspective than you. Maybe my woe is me is a little stronger than yours. You ever have that woe is me? You ever have struggled to get out of bed? thinking, well, I can't say anything because this must be God. My dad would say, running you through the ringer. Hmm. And what James says is, is when you go through struggles, what's going to happen is God is rewarding you. But you can be sure that God doesn't tempt people with evil. In other words, like to test my son's loyalty to me. Like, I noticed you didn't pick up your room today, Judah. I think that you're a bad kid. I would appreciate if you'd go out and lay in the street and I'm going to drive over your legs three times with the car. That would be cruel. That would make me a very bad dad. Right? But oftentimes, our perception of God, who was our heavenly father, the good God, is much like that. I've got cancer. 
this must be God's way of teaching me something. I went through a divorce. This must be God's way of teaching me something. I lost my job. This must be God's way of, but it's not. As a matter of fact, he says, you can't be fooled. He's like, when tempted, no one should ever say God is tempting me, for God cannot tempt by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. That's good news. He's not trying to trick you. He wants you on his team. He wants you to stay close. He wants you to be near because he understands the power that comes from being close to him, and he wants to give it to you. So he says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own selfish desire. Hmm. No one should say they're tempted by God, but each person is dragged away by their own selfish desire and enticed. Now, what you need to know, and what it's going to show us, I'll, I'll tell you in a second. So he says, you're dragged away by your own selfish desire, and then that conceives itself. It comes in and births itself in your heart. In other words, many things in your life are your own doing. The thoughts you're thinking, the guilt you feel, the shame you feel, everything else that you have going on in your head as you lay, when you walk in and you're frustrated and you're, and you're upset and you have all of these things inside of you going on, it's not God trying to deal with it. He's saying, come to me. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he prepares a table in the presence of your enemies. He's the kind of person who says, sit down, have some crackers and grape juice. Let's commune together. As a matter of fact, let me wash your feet. That's the way God wants to interact with you. But the shame, guilt, and everything else you're feeling for the struggles and all that stuff you're going through, he's like, he's like most of that stuff is created by you being dragged away from my side, from my attention, who I am, my provision, and you living in your sin. He says when you get dragged away, then it conceives in your heart and you give birth to sin. Let me say this. That just because, just because you think something or are dragged away doesn't make it sin yet. How many times in your life do you think and feel a certain way and you go, this is who I am. I'm depressed. This is who I am. I'm just, I'm just anxious. This is who I am. I'm a worry ward. This is who I am. I'm just unfaithful to my spouse. This is who I am. I'm just addicted. This is who I am. I just have these problems. And it's so easy to identify with the emotions, which is actually us just being dragged away by our own desires. But it's not sin yet. It's sin when we conceive it. Right? It's something different when it gives birth inside of you and it starts growing and you nurture it and you feed it and you live in it. And a lot of what we're talking about and what we're saying and everything that we're living and we're justifying and we're putting up with in our lives is us just taking selfish ambitions, selfish desires, our own lusts and nurturing them and then going, God, why did you make me this way? Why am I dealing with this? What's the problem? Why do I have to do this? And James says, it's not God who put that on you. It's you feeding your own selfish desire over and over and over again. And so just like me in Florida, 
you're lost. You're trying to figure it all out. You're trying to, it's a big struggle. And you're like, I don't know what to do. And you're just like, I, I can't find which way. I thought I was going this way, but it turns out I'm not going that way. I thought I was going up to, to not Miami, down to Miami, but I'm, instead I'm going up to Cocoa Beach. I don't understand this whole system. What is Brandon even talking about? The problem is we don't have a point of reference. The point of reference that I want you to get to today I want you to understand it with everything inside of you. No matter what you're facing, no matter what selfish desire, no matter what kind of sin, no matter what kind of emotional status, all of the things that are circling around is the same thing that James is saying. God does not tempt with evil. He does not take evil and put it on you. That's not who he is. And then he says this, don't be deceived. In other words, there's a voice lying to you constantly trying to deceive you about this truth. And it will be your point of reference and it will steer you back to where you need to be. My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. In other words, let me just say this. If it's not good, it's not God. Didn't something kind of jump inside of you? Like, I believe that. And then somebody else like, no, I don't believe that. How is that? How can that possibly be true? Brandon is just an idealist. He should run for president. If it's not good, it's not God. I first heard that, and something inside of me said the same thing as saying inside of you. Well, what about? If it's not good, it's not God. Well, then why did? If it's not good, it's not God, then why? I, t- I can't get my head around that. If it's not good, it's not God. But Jesus himself said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly to the full. But the thief is the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If you don't have this point of reference, you'll even pray stupid prayers. You know what I'm talking about? You'll pray stupid prayers. Like, and, and honestly, I, I believe in healing. And so the, the problem with believing in healing is that, like, I, I really believe in healing. And I have to. Because my, the way that I see the Bible and what Jesus says tells me that God is concerned about healing. Now, what happens is when you walk into a room and a man has just been dead for five minutes, flatlining, but resuscitated, and they put him on ice and cooled his body down and his wife is standing there and they're like would you pray you go do I believe in healing now and then the little Muslim girl walks in who's the nurse and you're like do I pray Jesus name in front of her because I don't want to offend her and what happens if this guy doesn't come back to life what happens if he's damaged his whole entire, the rest of his life and we never get to hear about him complaining about the Chiefs game ever again? You start to like put online what you really believe. Is God good? Is he giving me life and life more abundantly? Is he concerned about this situation? And then you go, well, maybe he's not. And so then you're like, well, you know, God, just do, it, do what you can. But the Bible says that you can pray and they will recover. As a matter of fact, Jesus told his disciples, he's like, go out and heal the sick, raise the dead. What am I supposed to do with that? 
you know, it's just a really rough time. It's 2020. I don't know if any dead people are coming back to life this year. <laughs> just, I mean, we got these masks. I don't know how God would even move. You start taking all of your circumstances and your struggles and applying them to what God has actually said, which is your point of reference. So I prayed that this guy would come back to life. That man is Don Perry. He's sitting right over there, and he's got a mask on. His mind, he's in his right mind most of the time. He's fun to be around. His wife is laughing because she's joyful. But I remember looking at her, and he's laying there on the bed. And I remember with full of faith and just feeling that God was going to take care of it, telling Kathy he's going to be okay. But when you're in situations, you always tend to kind of try to figure out, in lieu of the circumstances, how do I feel about God now? In lieu of being lost in Florida, how is my manhood navigating skills now? In lieu of what I'm going through, do I feel like God will still come through for me? Do I still feel like he's a good God? Do I still feel like he's on my side? Do I still feel like he cares about me at all? And then we start stacking up all of these excuses and all of these desires inside of us which have drawn us away from the side of Jesus from the mind of Christ. This is why in the Bible it says we need to have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And instead of being center spotlight with the light of heaven, we're standing in the dark wondering how God could ever be real in this circumstance. We've lost our frame of reference. James says, I need you to know this. Don't be deceived. There is a liar. There is a lie. But every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And get this. He does not change like the shifting shadows. Put that up there, Jane. It should be verse 16. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. If it's good, it's God. If it's not good, it's not God. He does not change like the shifting shadows? What about the new normal? What about how we're supposed to do life now? What about all these things I'm having to adjust for? Well, maybe we're actually wrong in assuming that Jesus is moved away from us that he's not good and that he's got us out in the middle of the road running over our legs again and again and again and again. And maybe Brandon lied and he's not good. Maybe the Bible lied and they don't understand what good really means. And then so we then shift our idea of good. But last time I checked, good is good. Right? There's one... There's one place in the Bible. I think it's uh, Romans. Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. And one time I was like, okay, you know, fight the good fight. You know, and I, I, I'd kind of been a loser most of my life. You know, that's why Johnny's so good. It's because I lost to let, help him build his ego, you know. 
I become good at so, so many things, and I, I, I became good at losing. And then I, I've preached about this before. I, I moved my idea of success from this winning to this other targets that became my way of winning. So I become good enough at losing that when I heard fight the good fight of faith, I meant that meant like, you know, be a good sport. You know what I mean? Like, hey, you guys lost 14 to 0. Way to be the biggest losers. But you had a great attitude. Good fight. And so then I just kind of like started to dial it down. I was like, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. And I heard one pastor say, what constitutes a good fight? What constitutes a good fight? I got a friend in here who's a fighter. Uh, He's there in the back. He doesn't do it professionally, but if you come at him, he's going to fight you. So Dustin, what constitutes a good fight? I'll tell you, Dustin, a good fight is when you win. Nobody ever got pulverized into the ground, lost two teeth, came back with two shiners, and was like, you know, I almost had him. Then he kneed me in the chin and ran my face into the ground, curb stomped me, lost two teeth. But it's a good fight. No. A good fight is when you win. So when Paul says, fight the good fight of faith, what he's saying is, you get to win. You get to win. The problem is, and this is what I think. I could be wrong. We'll talk it over with Jesus when we get there. I think that a lot of times our own selfish desires is what we want to win. I think we want to feel good in our sin. You know what I mean? You ever been so bitter? You know what I mean? Not you, not you, James. But have you ever been, you know, just bitter? You know what I mean? Guys, we aren't like this. We, we can hit each other and then be friends tomorrow. But girls, you know what I'm talking about. Petty. You know, you say sarcastic things like, oh, I'm so sorry you got a flat tire today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's too bad your spray tan is more orange than tan. <laughs> Say amen, ladies. Okay. Petty, you know. We want to win at stuff that's not really winning. We're okay with being empty on the inside, but still winning. We're okay with holding the trophy and going home and sobbing while we're still alone. What God is saying is like, I want you to win so successfully that you're whole on the inside, that you're victorious through everything. And when you go through trials and temptations, yeah, it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. People are dragged away by their own desires. But trust me, I am so good that I am going to create in you a winner that nobody else can touch. Starts with wholeness. But you'll get lost on that journey 
if you don't understand that God is a good God. Step one, God is a good God. Oral Roberts, the great man of God, used to say this, God is a good God and the devil's a bad devil. And it sounds really elementary, but I don't think most of us believe it. And there's even whole theologies that are built around, well, maybe God's not so good. Maybe if we just don't piss him off, then we'll, he'll be good to us. But what James is saying is there's no way that God can do evil. He can only do good. What? Yeah. As a matter of fact, all of the things in your life that you compare God to are all shifting. Like, for instance, Golden State Warriors were the greatest basketball team in history since Chicago Bulls. But now, for some reason, the Lakers are the best. The world is shifting, right? Have you ever tried to figure out how to love your spouse after your kids were out of the house? I haven't done that yet, but um, I hear it's really weird. It's just different. Everything we were built on here was all about, you know, raising these humans to adulthood. Now we're done. Now what do we do until they move back home? Please come back home. <laughs> the world is shifting. What do we do from seventh grade to eighth grade to ninth grade? What do we do with our life? The world is shifting. Shifting. What do we do when our, we move from one job to the next and all of our friends are at this job, but now we're at a new job and all, nobody wants to talk to me anymore from over there and I thought we were so close and now we're over here and, and, and it, everything is shifting. And the shift is not always bad, but it is there. How do we define that? For our lives, we take this experience and then we put it on God and go, yeah, God, you must be shifting too. And we hear things like, well, God's doing a new thing. You know, we used to do it that way, but now it has a new thing. And the children of Israel, the Old Testament, the New Testament, we back and forth about all of these things as if God is constantly changing on you. And it's a big puzzle for you to figure out if he's in a good mood, a bad mood. Is he good or bad? Am I supposed to be like, you know, going through this punishment? Or does he have a purpose in it? Does he mean to put me in this place? Because I don't like this place. God, are you really good? The point of reference is God is always good and he doesn't change like the rest of the world. Hmm. You know numbers that says that God is not a man? He doesn't lie. All the ladies are like, amen. <laughs> hey. Same is true for you, ladies. God is not a man that he should lie or, like the son of man, that he should change his mind. He doesn't do that. He's good. So when he says he's good, guess what he is? Is God good? Do you believe it? Do you mean it when you say it? Maybe. Maybe I do. We'll see. 
You have to believe it with everything inside of you. You have to be convinced. James had to be convinced. So every every, every experience that you have is an opportunity for you to test the goodness of God. Let me say that again. Every experience that you have is an opportunity for you to test the goodness of God. So, for instance, you go through something and you have this experience and you have the opportunity now to handle things the world's way or to handle things God's way. You know what I'm talking about? And God says, I'm good, everything I do is good, and if you'll do it my way, trust me, it'll, it'll be okay. And you're like, but I don't feel like that. I feel like I should probably do it the world's way. After all, I called my friend Sarah, and she said that when it happened to her, she went this way. And it seemed to be okay because she posts really good stuff on social media, and I think that that's what I'm going to do. And now instead of being in the goodness of God, you're over here in the dark. Opportunity for you to test the goodness of God. Like jumping off a cliff to the greatest rest you've ever known. It takes faith. It takes faith to trust God. I have to talk about the nest tea plunge. Anybody know what the nest tea plunge is? Hallelujah. It's a commercial nest tea, which is a mediocre tea. But my mom used to drink it all the time. So nest tea, we had these pictures, nest tea, and we'd always say, I'm going to take the nest tea plunge because on the commercial, there was this person standing next to a pool of tea, mind you. <laughs> a pool of tea. And they would stand there on the edge, and they'd be like, and they would just plunge backwards into this pool of iced tea. And if it wasn't sweet, it was gross. But when's the last time you plunged into the goodness of God? We have to take our cue cards about life like somebody standing off the stage going, hey, God's good. God's good. Hey, hey, if it's not good, it's not God. Hey. And so we're standing there and we're facing all of these things coming at us. And we're not sure what to do. We've got to look to the side and say, what's my line? What's my line? And they go, God's good. Hey, it's going to be a great year. Hey, it's going to work out for you. Hey, when you get through this, you're going to have a great crown of life. God's good. God's good. God's good. Every cue in our life is God is good. God is good. God is good. God is good. You got to tell yourself over and over and over and over and over again, God is good. God is good. God is good. It's the process of steering your thoughts in your life so that you can consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Say, Brandon, um, seems kind of weird. You start thinking through all the scenarios of how that's not true, that's not true, that's not true, because if that was true, then this, if that was true, then this. But here's the deal. 
the Bible says it, then I have to like line myself up with it. Take my heart, my life, and steer it towards this way. So many people have asked me just, just in the last week or two, if God's so sovereign, then why this? If, if, if God's in charge, then why this? Why am I? I mean, come on. I don't understand how God could let me blah, blah, blah. I don't understand how. There's a couple different things. One is your own sin creates a lot of your problems. Just chew on that for a minute. Your own sin creates a lot of your problems. A lot of your not sleeping at night is because of your own issues about not trusting God. Okay. If that's the case, that's the case, it will be very obvious. You'll be able to point back and go, yep, here it is. I did this and I got here. Okay. But another question I get is, what did I do wrong? Is God punishing me for something that I did that I'm not sure? I don't, I don't know that I did. And that's probably where most of us live. And you need to hear out loud from the Bible that God is a good God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from our life. And you need to hear this, that God is not a petty lover. He's not a bad boyfriend. He's not a bad girlfriend. He's not a bad spouse. He's not a bad parent that they're like, well, you know what happened to you two months ago and you did X, Y, Z and uh, that's why you haven't been able to go out with your friends. But they won't tell you. They just punish you silently. Yeah, I've, I've been upset since May. Everything. It's just, I don't like it. So I'm upset and that's why. And they just, that's not God. It's perfect love. His communication is clear. He wants to speak to you. He says, my sheep know my voice. They will not follow another. He's constantly talking about his provision and care for you. And you chalk him up to the person you dated when you were 17 years old. You chalk him up to your boss. Who's constantly holding stuff over your head. That's not God. He doesn't do that. So then what's the problem, Brandon? Why am I, why am I going through this? It's like, well, everybody around you is also on this same level of they are drawn away by their own personal desires. They conceive and they become sin. So it can be me. I can be creating my own issues. Other people around me can be creating their own issues. And sin is a messy thing. You create a mess and people around you have to pay for it. You create a mess in your finances, your family pays for it. You create a mess in your bitterness and your anger and your unforgiveness. Your family pays for it. People around you pay for it. Your relationships pay for it. Your spouse pays for it. So sin in your life or others' lives will create frustration. You have the opportunity in the face of sin, if it's, if it's you, you can repent. And God says, cool, let's move on. If it's in somebody else's life and you can't figure out how to make everything work out. You've preached to them. You've talked to them. You've told them. You've sprinkled them with holy water. Whatever you do, just plain don't do that. Is that sometimes you're going to have to trust the goodness of God and walk through some stuff that other people created. But you know what's the truth? 
God's a good God. And so if I look at things and it's not good, my point of reference, my Sunset Boulevard, my ocean to the left, trees bending, is if it's not good yet, it's not God. And every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. What James says right at the bottom, he says, he says, trust me, God doesn't shift like shadows, but he actually chose you, chose you to give you new life, that you could be a first fruit in his life, like a firstborn son, a firstborn daughter, my favorite one. Don't tell Reagan. That's the way God feels about you. So take a new grip on life. Stand up and stare at the sun and breathe deep. Say, God, you're good. There's a miracle in your bloodstream. There's a miracle in your cellular level. There's a miracle in the world rotating every single day. There's a miracle floating around out in space. Around and around and around. Perpetuating life for you right here on this earth. You breathe deep the oxygen that God prepared for you when he (sighs) breathed the world into existence. Trust me, God is good. God is good to you. 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 Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, we thank you for healing in the blood of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you say by your stripes we are healed. When Jesus came in Matthew, he said, be healed, touched and healed people. Matthew said this was to confirm that word. By his stripes we're healed. By his stripes we're healed. By his stripes we're healed. Right now, bodies be made whole, new in the name of Jesus. Bodies be made whole. Bodies. Restoration. Jesus' name. Pain go. Cells be healed. Disease go. Blood bring life. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Right now, I command and take authority over depression. Depression that seeks in, seeps in, God. In the name of Jesus, the suicidal spirit wants to attach itself to isolation and people who are left alone. The suicidal spirit that wants to make mountains out of nothing, that wants to take fear and make it our home. In Jesus' name, we cast out depression. We cast out anxiety in the name of Jesus. We pronounce healed minds, healed bodies, full of life, full of life and abundance, that God is a good God, that he is working on behalf of his people, that he's mending families, that he's taking the broken, the prisoners, and the lame, and making them new in Jesus' name. We declare your goodness. We declare your goodness. God is good in our lives. Jesus' name.
Give God a big praise today. Come on. You can do better than that. Come on. Amen.